Welcome to the Marriage Adventure Podcast, where the journey is the destination. It's the highs, the lows, and everything in between. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, join us on our podcast today. We're your hosts, Daniel and Bonnie Hoover. And uh, we're constantly talking about how marriage is an adventure. Matter of fact, that's the name, the marriage adventure. And as we say in the intro, it's the highs, the lows, it's everything in between. The uh, journey is the destination. And uh, if you've ever been on a trip, if you've ever been on a long trip or an adventure, you've ever signed up for an adventure, you find that you have expectations going into it. And uh, sometimes those trips take a detour and... uh, and they're, they don't exactly end up all the time where you hope they will or where you thought they will. So today we want to talk about something that was a detour in our marriage, <clears throat> probably about year eight, and uh, lasted for about five years. And, uh, and so it's something incredibly personal to us. Yeah. And, uh, and I can't guarantee you we're going to get through <laughs> this podcast and not have to press the pause button or not get a little emotional because even... Even several years after, the emotions ride pretty uh, pretty close to the surface. Yeah. Today, we're going to take some time to discuss with you what roughly one in eight couples struggle with at some point in their marriage, and that's infertility. Um, now, you may not be in the 14 to 70% of the pop- population that's dealt with this, but we hope you're going to stick around for the podcast because surely there's somebody in your circle of friends or your family that you know is going through it, or maybe you're completely unaware that they're suffering through this in silence. And it's always great to understand what they're walking through. Yeah, if you haven't been through something, then a lot of times we don't have the ability to have empathy uh, for someone as they're going through it because if you've never been through something, you don't know what you don't know. So maybe just hanging on and listening. This podcast is probably, we try to keep the podcast around 20 minutes or 20 to 30 and today's may end up going a little longer. So if you stick with us, hopefully it'll be helpful for you. Yeah. Well, as we get into infertility, talking about that, we just want to kind of define what that is. And um, infertility is the inability to conceive after a year of, of trying to get pregnant with unprotected sex or the inability to carry the pregnancy to live birth. And I know there are two aspects of that. And, and at some point, we really want to bring in someone to to talk on a future podcast about just the heartbreak and the difficulties of walking through miscarriage. But today we're going to try to specifically address the inability to conceive and how that affects the marriage relationship. Mm -hmm. So let's, first of all, let's deal with a little statistics on it. And uh, so like I said, uh, one in eight couples deal with this, uh, which means over 7 million uh, people have gone through infertility. That's, that's staggering. One Mm -hmm. in eight. So in your friend group, there's someone, yeah. uh, or in your family, there's someone that has that has walked through it. Um, two million in the U.S. are living through this at any given time. And there's 3.8% of women that have taken medications to assist in conception. And 1% of women in the United States have received artificial insemination. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I know when we were walking through that, we felt... Like we were the only ones. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and I think, Bonnie, I think that's the way it is in most anything mm-hmm. that we go through. I mean, I've talked with people that um, have come through, I talked to someone Sunday that uh, they've come through an affair and, and they said, ever since we've gone through it, goodness gracious, people come out of the woodwork and they just had another friend that go through it. I know that's uh, a similar feeling for people walking through cancer or yeah. different things like that. Um, even people, as death affects everyone, even if you've experienced a death, you feel like you're the only one. And um, and people walking through infertility, it's the same thing. And we felt like that. And yeah. honestly, we didn't know anyone mm-hmm. remotely close to us that uh, that had walked through it. And I'm sure they were there. We just didn't. We just didn't know. Well, and that's partly because uh, different people handle walking through this in their marriage differently. But you and I were we kept that very close to our chest. We did not yeah. really share with anybody what we were going through. We had I had one friend I shared with you. Had a friend you shared with. In fact, we were four years into the process before we even told our parents. Yeah, it was a all in all. It was about a five year process from the time we started trying to the time. 
um, Josie was born. And, uh, and there was a reason that we kept it close to the vest. Uh, one, Bonnie and I have a lot of, we have a lot of friends, but we don't have, we have, we have close friends that go deep with us, but we're on staff at a church. And when you're on staff at the church and we were on stage every week at that time as, as, uh, worship leaders. And, um, we didn't want to we didn't want that to be our identity. Right. We didn't want that every time someone saw us, they came up to us and asked us about it. Well, I couldn't emotionally handle that. No, we all. knew that wouldn't be healthy. No. And so we kept it close to the vest. Like I said, she told her friend. I told my pastor, who was a close friend, and maybe someone else. I think occasionally along the way, we have a, you know, someone else we bring into the circle. But we kind of kept that circle small. And And people didn't necessarily know we were going through it because we waited so long we we were married eight years before we began even wanting kids because we traveled on the road we just thought so many times that maybe children wouldn't fit into our lifestyle and I remember being out in public many times we'd look at each other <laughs> there'd be a kid at a, at a table crying and we'd look at each other and say uh nope still not ready and we realized now that really wasn't the kid it was really the parents <laughs> yeah we we're adverse to parents yeah so it was about eight years, and then uh-huh. I think when we did start trying, we weren't even 100% sure we were ready. Mm-hmm. We just thought, okay, we... You had just time. turned 30. No, I, I was, was all about, about to. About to turn 30. Yeah. I, was, I was right about to turn 32. Bonnie's about to turn 30, and uh, we had come off the road. We were at our church full-time, and we just felt like, eh, we probably should. Yeah. We, we don't want to be... We knew that God had children for us one day, and then we'd want them. I don't know that we really were gung-ho then we just felt like it's God's time telling us it's time yeah <clears throat> so we we began to try and it was about a year and a half on our own and it just wasn't working but it was a good year and a half before we even thought well maybe we should go see a doctor about this and see what's happening we were a little concerned and and I think as that year progressed our desire maybe because we couldn't get pregnant our it illuminated yeah or it kind of it kind of increased our desire to have the child and you know, so yeah, well, and we when we did go to the doctor, we figured out that we were both there was no, really no reason at that point why it wasn't happening, why why we weren't conceiving, and we found out through that process that typically it's like a one third of the problem is usually the man's with one the man. with the man, and one third of the time it's with the woman, and then there's that one third of the time when it's just unexplained, mm-hmm. and the, the uh, and issues with men typically boil down to to three things there's not our our systems are a little less complex um with the women uh there's a whole host of things that can be the problem uh but for us they couldn't explain it matter of fact for there was one little time they thought that i would might have been the problem because i went and got tested and a lot of my numbers were low uh, however, I was right in the middle of training for a marathon, and they said that's going to skew my numbers. And uh, doing long runs like that makes the sperm count get low. So, and it did resolve. And it resolved after we just decided, okay, I'm I'm almost done with this this race. So, I went on, finished the training, did the race, and then the numbers came up. And for the longest time, there was nothing that we could explain for me. And in that process, we we're like, that's why we're when we're trying, everything seemed to be um, working, and we reached the point we just felt like this is not working on our own and our doctor said let's let's try some things and we re- went down one road of we went through uh, seven over the course of i think it was maybe four, four years three four years well it was about two year period we went through seven artificial inseminations and what that is is where they take the sperm and they put it as close as possible to the egg. In we the call uterus. it the turkey baster method oh let's not <laughs> yeah that's very personal but um but that didn't work, and it was very costly with time, and there were all these medications in that process I had to be on, and it it messed with my emotions. It it made things. Um, I felt I felt crazy. I felt like I was losing my mind yeah. at times, and um, so it, that was a very emotional process. And then you get to the end of that, all the all the blood work and all the the medical tests and the poking and prodding and all the things, and you just. It's, it's very emotional when you get to the end of that process after all of that um, intentionality, and then it's another no. Yeah, and each in, with each insemination, your percentages of it working go down. Yeah. So that was an added stress on us that 
with every one, you know, you get to, 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 you've done four of them. Okay, well, the percentage is, okay, let this one work because if this doesn't work, the yeah. percentage are going to lessen. And then we get to the last one and it's, there's very slim percentage this is going to work. And so that's just, you've got the monthly looking at the stick and it's saying, no, I didn't think those things could say yes. I didn't either. I, I was convinced they I didn't were think all there broken. Was a plus that came on that thing. Nope. And then you also have the inseminations, the stress of it, the financial burden of it, mm-hmm. and then because uh, our then, insurance um, did not cover any of that. No. Mm-mm. So, and we got to the point then that our doctor. That was the day we dreaded, and our doctor looked at us and said, "Look, this this is just. I think we're done here. This is yeah. not gonna." yield anything um that was so a hard conversation it was a very hard conversation he said okay so you got two options now you can look into in vitro fertilization or you can look at adoption and in vitro is if you're not familiar it's where they extract the egg take it out and fertilize them and then outside the body and then implant them back in the body and yeah. uh and that was a whole nother road for us because as we looked at in vitro and a lot of people do it um one, it's very costly, much more costly than the inseminations. Um, Whereas inseminations were between um, twelve hundred and two thousand yeah, each vi- time. In vitro, could be up to fifty thousand yeah. dollars. One shot. Uh, one shot, and uh, of course, they fertilize several eggs, and uh, and then they implant maybe three of them, and then they freeze the rest. And so, um, and I want to I want to frame this in in saying this. Uh, for us, we felt strongly uh, about this. And I'm not saying for you that this is the right or the wrong answer. Um, it's what God lays on your heart. And this is just where and, he led us. And this is where he led us. We have a lot of friends who's done in vitro, and it was it was uh, definitely God's will for them. For us, as we looked at in vitro, we came to a moral dilemma. And I think that, that if you're listening, maybe this is something that you've come to or you're going to have to come to. For us, the moral dilemma was, okay, well, they fertilize seven eggs, eight eggs. They implant three of them, and, well, That's, you could yeah. have twins. You could have one baby. You could have five babies. Depending on how many they implant. Depending on how many they implant, how they many split. takes, and they split, and... And that's always a chance, and uh, and twins a lot of times a high chance in it. And then, okay, so say we get twins or triplets out of the first, you know, taking. <laughs> what do you do with the other eggs? Well, then th- we did math, and or we're not. not great at math, but as we did the math, there was always a percentage that we would either have to, you either do one of two things with those eggs. Well, they're no longer eggs they're at no this point. Eggs. They're fertilized and they have, but they're embryos. And we believe that's life. Life believes at conception. So conception had happened. So what do you do with those babies that, that are, you know, that have been frozen? Well, you either donate them or you uh, kill them. And, uh, and or, you, or you put them up and, and go back and get them later. Go back and get them later. Um, but for us, we tried to take it out to the, yeah. to the, you know, to the nth degree, and we found out that there was always a percentage that we would have to donate them, which is a wonderful thing for a family to to get. But for us, it was a little awkward that we would give away a child we could raise. We just didn't want that many children, and yeah. we made a decision, or 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 um, aborting or, or or killing that that baby, and we just. We just didn't feel comfortable. And even if it came down to a 10% chance or 5% chance in our hearts, we just didn't feel comfortable with that. And, uh, and God foreknew, God foreknows situations and mm-hmm. he foreknew what would happen in our particular case. And maybe your particular case is different. So anyway, so that, that in our heart, God, um, led us <clears throat> to begin thinking about adoption and, um, which is an equally heartbreaking Heart, yeah. road. There's so many things that can go wrong with that as well. And, and it's a very long and expensive journey. And so at that point we thought, okay, we need a break. We need to just give our, our emotions time to calm down and settle. And let's just remember enjoying each other for a little bit and let's take yeah. a break. Let's press pause. Yep. Um, and so you might be in this, in this journey and there are so many things that brings into your marriage. There are all of these relational issues that, man, we thought we were going to be, we're three years in. We thought we'd have a toddler by now. And, yeah. and yep. it, you're, it's a detour you didn't plan for. 
and it's a whole different dynamic in your relationship at this point. At this time, because we've been married eight before we tried, and now we're 10, 12 yeah. years in to marriage, and and now we're we're definitely on the old side, the older end of the spectrum. <clears throat> and it brought it brings a lot of issues. And one thing that we noticed is it has the tendency to define your relationship. Mm. And uh, it you a lot of couples and we fought against this. And this is why we kept the circle small. And it's different. It, this every road is different for everybody. So mm. we, our story doesn't isn't necessarily the right thing for you. But for us, we kept the circle small because we're on stage every week. We didn't want our identity as a couple to become the couple that, that deals with in, infertility. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't want it to define our relationship in, in that way. But we also didn't want it to define our relationship at home that every single conversation is about this. But a lot of times it was. We spent so much time planning, talking about, okay, so... Um, and we're not telling people, so we have to figure out and work around, okay, what are you, what days are you taking off and how are you going to explain? You're going to be yeah. gone because we've got this doctor's appointment yeah. and there were so many monthly and how does that work? And, and we were at the doctor's appointment and we run into church members Yeah. and, and, and they're oh, like, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? Daniel, why are you at her doctor's appointment? Oh, he's a wonderful husband. He just comes to a monthly <laughs> visit. I know. Her, and that's not the case. So. so it, but it also, it defines your converse. Every conversation becomes about that. Your whole motive, your whole goal, your initiative as a couple, everything is about getting pregnant. Yeah. And, um, and, and that can't, you, you got to fight against that. Um, cause you don't know how long this battle is going to be. And then, and then another thing, it defines your relationship, but it also, uh, it, it affects your sex life in, mm-hmm. a, in a big way. And uh, so much so that it's not about intimacy anymore. It's just about procreation. And most of that, depending on the man, but most of that is on the female side. So Well, she knows what's happening with her body and, mm-hmm. okay, this is the time. You only have a few. You know, I had no idea um, when I was younger. I, I mean, I heard about ovulation and all of that, but I had no idea. There are only just a few days a month that it, you can actually conceive. Yeah. And so I would know that. I'm keeping up with it. I'm charting and I'm keeping up with every <coughs> single thing my body is doing. And so I'm like, okay, it's time. So yeah. it's basically, all right, it's now or never kind of thing. And I'm demanding whether you feel like it or not, you got to be intimate with me because this is yeah. our time of the month. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it's difficult for the man. I know for us, the first eight years of our marriage, Bonnie was on birth control, and and well, I was what on is pi- actual pills? Pills, yeah. yes. And so, what does birth control do? One of the ways it controls birth is it pulls back the the female's desire, uh, desire for sex and the sex drive, and and so for eight years. There's a lessened sex drive from Bonnie, and uh, mine's still raging. And so now all of a sudden she's demanding sex, but not wanting it for pleasure or mm-hmm. intimacy or connection. Mm-hmm. She's wanting it for procreation. And I've heard this from many guys. I'm I'm not just meat. <laughs> I'm a guy. Yeah. Feelings, you know. Yeah. And uh, and it takes all the fun out of it. And, yeah. and you got to do certain positions in this way and that kind of thing. And it's just not, it ain't sexy. And so that's one way it affects your sex life. Well, I know there's so many times people want to, when you talk about sex, people say, well, God created it primarily for procreation. And I think during, the, during that season of our marriage is when I realized, no, no. that's not right. Because one, it wasn't happening for us. So it can't be that that's God's only desire for it. Um, if it's not happening and, and it's by his design, it's not happening. Right. But two, there was this desire for intimacy. Um, I understood what it's like when it's not intimate mm. because we were forced into those situations where it wasn't about intimacy. And then it may, and I realized, okay, God created this for intimacy and this yeah. is difficult. Yep. I'll never forget probably one of the worst, worst fights we've had in our marriage was, uh, I don't, as most fights go, I don't remember what it was about, but we, uh, man, we were mad. I was mad at you. We were mad at each other. We had just argued. And then, uh, and, and it happened to be on your ovulation day Mm -hmm. and, 
it's late at night, we're arguing, we haven't had sex that day, and we had to, and I was mad, <laughs> and I am not one of those guys that can just press the pause button, go have sex, come back to arguing. I'm, I'm an emotional being, <laughs> and so if, if we're not connecting, I ain't into it. And so uh, Bonnie looked at me, she came out, you were mad, and you said, I'm ovulating today, this is the only day, and if we don't have sex today, we've missed our opportunity. And I'm like, I don't know if I can have sex with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, yeah, it greatly affects your sex life, and I don't remember what happened. I don't either. I don't either. That, but. Well, and that's another thing. There's another area of relational um, issue that you deal with is anger yeah um, because just of your whole motive everything revolves around that but then then you've got the anger potentially towards the partner who if you find out okay this person has the issue in our case we were we were unexplained so there wasn't there wasn't so much anger I don't feel like I dealt with anger towards you in this situation because we didn't know who's issue it was in fact there were times uh, uh, uh. I really prayed God please let it be me because I felt protective over you and yeah. I didn't want you to have to feel I know sometimes men can feel it can hurt their the way they feel I mean it, it, it affects both men and women that they feel um, responsible for it but I really felt protective of you in that so that I we didn't I don't feel like we dealt with that but I know that a lot of times if there is this strong desire maybe from one more than one for one partner than for the other they feel some anger towards their spouse. Yeah. But for me, I felt anger towards God because we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know why. We knew that at the end of the day, God, you're just saying no to this. Yeah. And there's a lot of times in marriage that one partner or the other made a choice pre-marriage to, to do something and it enabled them to not have children yeah. and anger can happen there. Like where well, you did, you know, you've got an STD or you've gone down a road and, 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 um, and anger and resentment can come from that. Or if it's just nature and there's something wrong with your body, but for us, there wasn't any of that and they couldn't put a pin on it. They couldn't, they couldn't describe to us what was going on. And for us, we just said, God, this is you. Mm -hmm. You're just not letting us get pregnant. And and there was some anger, some frustration with God. Um, yeah, I don't know if I ever got to the point to where I would have ever shaken my fist at God. I think yeah. I have more fear of him and understanding of who he is than that. But there was frustration. And, sure. and Gosh, goodness. I, I remember getting up and leading worship Um at our church and we're singing these songs mm. and the so one hard. song that stands out to me and I remember it was just a cathartic moment was when we sang um everlasting God everlasting God and it's strength will rise as you wait upon the Lord wait upon the Lord and I'm just sitting here saying God I'm waiting I'm waiting where's the strength and um and I'm singing out and crying out these songs. There's a lot of times I think I cried through that song. Yeah. Um and um and then every Father's Day and every Mother's Day, we our church, you know, like a lot of churches want to create experiences on those days and and they would pick these songs, these specials after the message that was heart wrenching and and it was oh, it was brutal. And finally we just started taking off mother's yeah. day and we'd go on vacation on that day and we just wouldn't go yeah. to church on that day because it just got too difficult too painful to too be painful. there and to sing these songs and 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 feel this this longing and pain and we were just angry yeah. and and you know i think that everybody processes this differently when they yeah. walk through and so i think men and women process it differently and because women they're they're on this emotional roller coaster with their bodies their hormones are raging. They might be on medicine. I was on medicine for years, and yeah. that medicine really plays around with your hormones. It makes your your emotions um, wild, yeah, and um, and which affects how I'm seeing you. It affects our relationship, our conflict, our lack of conflict resolution, or our communication skills. And yeah, and and women do feel responsible in a lot of ways because their body's not doing what they think it should be doing. Yeah. Yep. And men feel hopeless and frustrated, especially if they're not 
the issue mm-hmm. if they're because uh, men want to fix, and that's the way God designed us. And and uh, and there's sometimes I I feel like uh, men need to fix. Men need to be men. Women need men to yeah. come in and help fix things and help provide solutions. In this case, you can't. There's really nothing you can do. That the way you fix it is you be emotionally available and you be emotionally sensitive, and that's how men fi- can can fix it and be there for them. Um, and uh, and don't invoke an argument when it's your ovulation day. <laughs> um, but men feel. I mean, I felt hopeless. I felt frustrated. There was nothing that I could do, and yet I had to look at my wife who who was wrestling with, am I a, a woman? Yeah. Because I can't do what women were created to do. And uh, men typically want to wait and let the process run its course. And let's well, let's just keep trying. You know, it goes back. Men don't like to go to doctors. <laughs> Why do yeah. we want to do that? But women, it's quite different. Men, women tend to, to want to get help immediately. Feel and, that biological clock ticking. Yeah. And we, need, we need to do something that's not happening this right now. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I think on that emotional side of it, I also, I knew how much you wanted to protect me. But I also knew how hurtful, how, how hard it was for you too. And so, whereas I, I kind of pull back emotionally mm. at times when I would realize, okay, this is not happening I'd, you didn't know I'd spend my afternoon crying and get it out yeah. of my system until you got home because I wanted you to feel like this is going to be okay too. And I don't want yeah. you to feel like you have to fix this because I knew you were hurting too. And so sometimes we, men and women pull back from each other emotionally because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do to uh, make it better. And I think one of the things we can learn to do in that time is to ask each other, what do you need from me right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember there were nights I'd, I'd lay in bed and try to silently cry in my pillow where you didn't hear it. Oh. Just, I felt like I was mourning the death of somebody that I had never met. Yeah. And that wasn't here yet. And, um, whew, that was, that was a rough time. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, so, so there's stressors in your marriage, um, there's also stress that comes along with it from um, stress with family and friends, so relational stress. And, um, and, and this all depends on your family, your support group, what your family's like, and, uh, and everybody's is different. Um, but it may require that you step outside of your family for support, and, uh, and maybe that's through counseling or, or pastoral support or, or just friends um, that, that – that do understand or have been been through it, but um, Bonnie, what's some of the the stress that you remember going through with fr- family well, and friends w- who beca- are probably listening yeah, today? But. Well, because I chose not to tell and not bring people into my my realm of hurt, they unknowing to them contributed to that hurt in in ways that they in comments they would make or. They didn't mean to. They had no idea because I was the one responsible for isolating them from that. But they just assumed we didn't want children. Yeah. And, and there again, if you've never been through it, you like know. anything else, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't emotionally know what you've never been through. So having empathy is tough if you've yeah. never experienced it. Well, I remember comments like, oh, well, I guess y'all, y'all are, you're... How old are you? Well, I just call you Sarah because yeah. Sarah in the Bible was ninety, what ninety something years old before she had yeah. kids, and yeah. and that kind of stung. Or um, they they don't mean to, but they'll they'll say comments about you not wanting children, and you're like, oh, you have no idea how much I do want children. And and we'd have people tell us what that uh, it's biblical to to be fruitful and multiply, and they would they would basically give us a sermon on why us not having kids was unbiblical like, and you don't you know we're trying just, yeah they don't know and then um and then you'd have insensitive comments like oh you just take take my kid for the day you, you'll change your mind about having kids oh yeah or well you know i i, I hate that i mean yeah I, I i could give you one of mine because i mean i look at a kid i look at my husband and get pregnant yeah. i mean oh i mean it's hard and they didn't mean it no they had no idea because I had not told them. and yep. But then the people who did know sometimes would try to want to fix it and say things like, well, why don't you just adopt? 
Yeah, just adopt. You'll be fine. Or I'll tell you what, if you adopt, you'll get pregnant. I see that happen so often. And, and yeah, I have seen that happen too, mm-hmm. but it's not a great thing to say when someone's going through it. It's it's hurtful. And it and it minimizes the uh, the adoption process because exactly. I remember we were struggling through both and and I'm like, "No, I don't adopt and this other child just so I can have a biological one. Right. The adoptive one is is equally as blessed as the the exactly. biological one." Um, but so many insensitive comments and, uh, and that creates stress. And what it does is it builds a wall, mm-hmm. um, between you and those people. And so you start isolating yourself away from them and then it drives a bigger wedge and it isolates you. And you become resentful you become and, and resentful. you pull back from the relationship. There were several relationships through that process in my life that were broken that, that thank the Lord he was able to mend and, and we worked on and, and, and there's some of the the most precious to me and because we've got family members that have you know four or more kids and they get you know maybe they went through a little infertility front or but they get pregnant with ease or it happened god and and they didn't say anything but by getting pregnant (laughs) it created this unspoken stress Uh. and and it was hard for us i remember because whether it was a family member or a friend or we all staff at a church we're staff at church we had a lot of relationships i was unbelievably excited for them i mean i'd just be evil to to be mad and vindictive at them Mm -hmm. but it hurt yeah it hurt because why isn't this happening for us they've had three kids in the time we've been trying well i remember adding up we got to a point when we got to that point that we had reached that okay what do we do is it adoption is it in vitro and we're just taking that break i added up there were 36 pregnancies from the time we started trying into that point 36 couples who had gotten pregnant and had babies in the time we had been trying. In four years. In four years. And those, and those are family and friends. Yeah, those are people. That's that's 36 announcements, 36 baby showers, and then 36 going to the hospital or taking dinner over. And we were happy for them, but it was a constant reminder of what we didn't have. And so it you've was got hard. over 100 emotional encounters yeah. with these people. Yeah. And, um, and, and it, it's, it's incredibly tough and you know, if you're going through it, it is. And I started thinking, okay, why, why is this, you know, is it so painful and, and am I the only one experiencing this? And I, I found a verse in Proverbs, it's Proverbs 30 verse 15 that says three things or three things that are never satisfied four that never say enough, the grave, the barren womb. Land which is never satisfied with water and fire which never says enough. Mm-hmm. And that told me my pain is validated because mm-hmm. it's hard. It did, you, I mean, with the grave, there's a time everyone passes and you're going to lose people. That's known. Um, the barren womb. It it hurt. Because it's God saying no. It's God because God had closed my womb. He's the one who opens and closes wombs. And it felt so personal. Why did he close mine? Mm-hmm. I remember this was before we uh, started experiencing infertility, but I came across uh, a statement in one of my Bible studies years ago that said, God never let me, and I'm going to try to remember how to phrase this. Um, I pray that God's perceived action in my life or perceived inaction will never be a stumbling block for me. Mm. Meaning God, no matter what you cause to happen in my life or what you cause to not happen, like infertility and getting pregnant, I pray it will never be a stumbling block in my faith, but it'll lead me to a deeper faith. And, uh, and that's tough as you walk through that. Um, so as we came to year five uh, the end of year four, I guess it was probably about four years into the process. It was that summer after they said, um, you, you got to either pick adoption or, um, yeah. or in vitro. We kind of had what we're going to call a Gethsemane moment. And, uh, and this isn't something that you can make happen. No. This is something that you've got to allow God to bring you to. And you pray you get to this moment. Because this is the moment that will define whether you come out of it one way or the other. We all go through things in our life. And, and to be honest with you, and this will be a, probably another podcast, um, if, 
there's nobody used in Scripture that in any leadership capacity or worth their salt or uh, influence in Scripture that hasn't um, had their hip touched like Jacob did, broken hip, that doesn't walk with a limp, that hasn't gone through something. And when you go through that wrestling with God yes, that you don't want. Yes. And when you go through those times, no matter what it is, and they're, and they're varying degrees for all of us, right? But when you go through those times, you either come out one of two ways. You either come out bitter, resentful, and crusty, <laughs> or you come out broken and more like God, mm-hmm. looking more like Christ. Yeah. And uh, and that's where the Gethsemane moment comes in. And I'd never heard that term we uh, until a, a few days ago, actually. Um, but we went through it. And what, I could easily what is recognize the it. Moment? So when Christ was uh, the night before he went to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what's he doing? He's praying. He's sweating sweat drops of blood as he's praying, Father, take this from me. I mean, he did not want to go to the cross. He's fully man, 100% man, 100% God. And uh, and he's he's wrestling. He's pleading with God. He asked him three different times, I believe, Take this from me. Don't make me do this. Mm-hmm. And over the course of that night, as he wrestled with God, he finally realized God said no, and he's got to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's where God broke his spirit. And uh, just like we just like we mentioned, Jacob wrestling with the angel, that's where God touched his hip, and that's where God said, okay, and, enough. And, <laughs> enough. And uh, Jesus wrestled with God all night with that and prayed and begged and pleaded and God said, no, you've got to go through this. And his response, and, and that was, not my will, but yours. I'll do what you ask. Whatever, exactly however this turns right. out, I'm going to be obedient. And and we did reach that moment. I, I know, I remember reaching that point of saying, okay, God, maybe you don't have biological children for us. I remember you journaling this. Oh, I'm like, God. we going back and we've read it several times. I just, I don't understand it. I don't like it. It's not what I am asking you for, but you're God, and I want what you want, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, and it, for me, that was the moment where God said, Daniel, it's it's bigger than this. It's bigger than you having a child. That's where the, the moment, it's much when like when Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb, and he looked at Martha, and he said, Martha, Martha. You don't understand this. I'm the resurrection and the life. This isn't about your brother. This is about me and life mm-hmm. and and my plan for humanity and creation. And God said that to, to me, Daniel, it's bigger than you. It's not about you. It's not about you having the beautiful picture over the mantel place that you had always dreamed about. It's not about you having your dream for your family. It's not about you being a dad or Bonnie being a mom and finding your identity. I'm mommy and all that. It's not about the Facebook life. This is about bigger. This is about me. This is about my plan for humanity. It's about my glory and it's about my plans for this child. Mm-hmm. And right in that moment, God kind of unveiled everything he had taught us in three years that us being parents, our kids aren't ours, that our kids are his and he loans them to us. We steward our children and, uh, until, you know, for 18 years or however long. And, and he said, this is about me lining up their life with my plans. And there's going to be people that they're going to meet along their life in elementary school and middle school and high school and college and I've got, I've got plans. And, uh, and that's when God just broke us. Yeah. And, and he said, you know what? I may never choose to give you kids. And that's where I just, I think we both just said, okay, God, if you choose to not allow us to steward the life of a child, we'll we, accept it. We'll still serve you. We'll still serve you. Yeah. You give life, you take life. And we're going to acquiesce to that. And that was... That was tough. That, that was a was hard tough. moment, but I felt this release in that this this weight off my shoulders, and and it wasn't a whole lot longer after that. I went to the doctor that the end of that summer, and 
my yearly checkup and just he was checking some things he's like okay I told him I said well I kind of feel this little pain here and he said why have you not ever mentioned this before I was like well I've been on all this medicine and I've felt twinge I, I just thought it's part of the infertility process I had no idea it wasn't normal at this point and so, you're off all the medicine yes, at this point off everything and he said well now we've got reason to go in let's let's do some exploratory surgery there's a, a medical reason for it that insurance will pay for it so it was actually on Halloween that year. October 31st. October 31st, I went in for surgery, and he found tons of endometriosis and three three other issues that I had that were not there when we started this process. But no. is it, uh, ironically, all the medications I had been on had caused the growth of all these things, and all the things that were supposed to help me conceive had actually stood in the way of it and so there's still no no way to explain the first two three years of it but we do know towards the end these things weren't helping it right and so they went in and did a surgery and they told us they said let's just take a couple of months and just take some time off and and there's a there'll be a window but you need to heal so we weren't even really trying and so after all those years they said for the next couple months you'll be at your most well they said take a break for a a couple and then yes and so we um I think that was that was October, so then November we just you know we just took off, and then December we weren't even think we just missed it, and then um, I'll never forget it was uh, Christmas morning. My family, my my parents were here uh, spending the night with us. My family was coming up that day and uh, to spend the day with us, and so we had about fifteen people coming into our house, and uh, I got up and uh, went upstairs and worked out. I came back down, or came back, I had coffee with my parents, and I went upstairs, worked out, and Bonnie comes up, and she says, hey, come down, I've got a, I've got a present for you, and I was, I was like, what, we've already talked about, we're not giving presents for each other, and, uh, and so I came down, and she handed me an envelope, and, um, and I'm reading the envelope, I'm reading the letter, and I'm just shaking, and I'm crying, mm-hmm. and this was a letter telling me that she was pregnant. That's a letter that I had written several years earlier, and rewritten. And yeah, rewritten, yeah. thinking I was going to get to hand it to you at any time, and yeah. um, and we were actually shocked. We were after all that time, we were actually we weren't even trying that much. No. We weren't. We weren't even on medicine. We weren't no. on anything. And uh, and so she had taken. You had a. You got up that morning and you just said, "Well, I've got a. It's Christmas. I've got a I'm pregnancy gonna, test. You had one. So yeah, I just took it, and it was. We did not know, like you said, it would say positive. In fact, you left, Daniel. Did not you didn't even believe it? So you no. left. You came up with an excuse and went and said we need more cups. And you went and bought like eight pregnancy. Walgreens tests. was open, and I bought like <laughs> yeah, I bought eight pregnancy tests, and every one of them said we were pregnant. And then the worst thing is our whole family comes over that day, and we can't tell anybody. No. It's just too soon. And they pull out pictures of you as a baby, uh-huh. and we're just sitting here. I'm sitting here thinking, this is what my baby's gonna look at mm-hmm. all this. And it was the craziest, most wonderful thing. It ever. was amazing, and um, and. And God just shined. He did. His glory shined well, all around it. Well, and then a couple of years later, we were in that process of praying again towards God, what do you have for us? And yeah. And we, we, didn't, we know. didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen again. We thought, well, maybe after once it'll be easy. And so we started down that road again, praying for the Lord to bless us and open my womb again. And We, and we he gave just, it six months. Yeah. We and, said, let's, let's try on our own for six months. And he just didn't. And we said, you know what? We cannot, I cannot emotionally go through that again with the infertility and so at that point we said you know what god has already turned our hearts towards adoption so we just said let's take a break let's just keep praying see what god wants to do um so for us and and that's 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 a whole nother that's a whole nother story where our our son colby's adopted and that that'll be another podcast um in in 23 years of marriage we've had one time we had a scare that we thought we were pregnant it wasn't a scare. It was when we were pregnant with Josie. Yeah, We've yeah. never in our marriage had a time where we thought, oh, you're late. Could you be pregnant? Yeah. Whatever. It's that, that one time. Well, and later, a couple of years later, my doctor told me, you know, this was actually, I don't know how on earth you had this one baby. It was completely a miracle. Yeah. Um, and it was. It was God, and it was his timing. And, um. We don't know how your story is going to play out. And I know that when we were walking through that, there were a lot of times people would say, okay, so just have hope, just have hope. And they were they were on the other side of it, 
and yeah. we didn't want to hear that. It yeah. we were in it, and we didn't want to to. We were just so hurt, and we felt like okay, so now you have children that invalidates. But mm-hmm. our prayer for you, if you're walking through that, is that you're hearing this today, and that this brings you hope. If you have never walked through this, um, there's some action steps for for you. Maybe you you're not experienced it, but you know someone who is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some things that we would say to you today, and first is be thankful. Yeah, be thankful for your children, no matter how uh, good or bad they are, and don't take it for granted, and it's don't not miss that easy. don't miss a moment. It's mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the second thing is be there for your friends or your family members and pray for them, but don't give advice. Um, it's kind of like at a funeral. There's nothing that you can say that's going to help. Mm-hmm. And so just give them a hug and, and, and say, I love you. And I'm praying every day. Cause I guarantee you. you anything you can think of telling them to try, they have tried it. They've tried it. And, and <laughs> they, they, they've been talking to doctors who know probably a whole lot more than, than your advice can give them information that will actually lead to something. And yeah. and the third thing is don't say things you think are going to help because yeah. no matter how well-meaning you are, um, it it doesn't help. Don't complain about your kids because no. don't say, oh, if you could just live with mine for a day, yeah. that, that, oh, man. that hurts. And and, uh, and then, and, and fourthly, don't leave them out. Because you're afraid of hurting them, and uh, maybe you're, maybe you're pregnant, and or you're afraid to do something. Don't don't shield them from your life. Just be uh, sensitive in during your life and during your interactions with them. But don't don't um, don't keep them out and don't you know keep them away. So if you're going through this, and you, if you're in the middle of this. Uh, maybe someone's giving you this podcast to listen to. What are some action steps for you while you're waiting? First thing I'd say is don't do it alone. Um, have a support network. And that looks differently for everybody. Like we said, for us, we kept the circle small. But for us, that was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And we widened that circle as we felt like we needed to. Um, but don't do it alone. Maybe that's a counselor. Uh, maybe through a professional counselor at an agency. Maybe it's a pastoral counselor. Maybe it's some close friends. and um, I know and some people it helps them. There have been a lot of our friends who've walked through this who have, um, who actually do widen, they, they make it widely known. In fact, they include people in on their, if they get to the point of adoption, they have actually opened up um, pages where they, um, they, they sell t-shirts or things like that to get people to, to, raise money. to raise money to help them in their adoption process or to just pray for them along the way. They or they're want in, that. Or their in vitro process yes. or fertility. So you've got to pray and know you and know yeah. your situation and, uh, and how. Now, after we got pregnant, we shouted it from the mountaintops and I was able to actually, I, sp- I spoke at our church a few months later and was able to tell the story. So during it, we kept it closed. After it, we've we've opened up. Matter of fact, our couples group, right after we had Josie, uh, our couples group, we had 10 couples in that group or so. And I want to say eight or nine of them were either in the process of of infertility or adoption. Yeah. And after the uh, end of that year, a year and a half, two years, every one of them was either pregnant or had their baby. It was crazy. And God just brought multitudes of people in our lives that were experiencing it, where yeah. before we didn't know anybody. No. Um, the next thing to really think about is in your marriage, in your relationship, press into each other. Mm-hmm. Because th- this is something that that can be a defining moment in your marriage. It can either, we've seen couples who... This is completely, um, they've walked away from each other in this process and divorced Mm -hmm. because it did not lead to the outcome they wanted. But for us, we drew closer and it can do that. As hard as this is, this really can draw you closer. And the way that's going to happen is if you're able to keep close communication going on, heart talk about Mm -hmm. this, not just, okay, here's my doctor's visits, here's my cycles, just keep in constant communication about how are you feeling about this and yeah. and how can I help? What do you need from me? Yeah, find ways to enjoy each other outside of this issue. Mm-hmm. Remember to date each other. Remember to talk about other things. Um, make your life about something other than just trying to get pregnant because you'll go into that pit and that pit's hard to crawl out of. Yeah. So make sure to hold each other accountable to that. Maybe go out with other couples 
something like that, but do things that you can grow closer. And I'll say this, have sex when you're not ovulating. Yeah. I mean, have sex at other times for that closeness and don't just let that become about getting pregnant. Mm. Another thing that we find helpful is to, to make a, a list of things you're thankful for. Yeah. Yep. It, it's that, um, praise him in the storm. Mm. And, uh, and gosh, there were so many songs that God ministered to us through during that time. And, um, uh, one of them was a song by an artist, John Waller, who happened to be a guy that we knew. And, um, and he wrote this song while I'm waiting and oh my goodness, uh, look it up, but it's, uh, while I'm waiting, it says, I'll serve you. Um, while I'm waiting, I will trust you and I'll worship. I'll worship. And there's the, the, in the meantime, and in that meantime, give thanks in that meantime, remember who God was in the good times, because that's the same God he's going to be through the bad times. So balance your heartache with praise and with worship and with thanksgiving. And that keeps you from pulling away from the Lord in that. Because you are, I know you're asking the why questions. God, why me? Yeah. Why not us? Why can't this happen? And um, it's hard to not feel isolated by God. Yeah. But you got to remember, he has a master plan. He's got he something bigger. And I think for us, it, it became better for us to ask not so much the why, but the what. Yeah, the what questions. Because typically, God doesn't ever answer the why questions for us. Mm -mm. Um, Sometimes if he, he does. does, it's not in a way that we want to hear, so we invalidate it, and mm -hmm. we don't choose to believe it a lot of times. But what he will answer is the what questions. So God, what can I do? What steps can I do? What will you have me do in the meantime? What is this what does this look like down the road? And, uh, and those can be a lot more helpful. Um, what steps should I take? What response should I have? Um, and pray that he brings you to that Gethsemane moment. Oh man, pray for that. Cause you want that. And we've told people this before. You do not want to come out of this simply with a child. Mm -mm. I, if I've got to go through this, I could have gotten pregnant right away and gotten a child. If you're going to take me through this heartache, God, change everything about me and that comes through that Gethsemane moment and I will be honest with you and just kind of to wrap up our story God did that in us I mean I look back now and it's one of those things I would not want to go through it again but I wouldn't take anything for it mm -hmm. and because there is so much that is different about us because we went through that process and God brought us to that Gethsemane moment uh, one thing is that we realized he's God and we're not yeah. We realize that God is the giver of life and he is sovereign and I'm not, I can plan, I can have vision, I can make dreams, but God orders our steps and God, God does what he wants to do. And so that surrender goes across multitudes of areas in my life. Now, um, it's, it's much more, I'm much quicker to just say, okay, God, my heart's yours. Turn it yeah. on a dime because he brought me to that moment through that. And recognizing, and I think for us, it was recognizing that God had a plan for our children and the timeline of their lives. We realized it then, but Josie's 10, Colby's eight now. Yep. And now we're seeing that. Oh my word. We're seeing it daily. I know uh, last year, God, God put Josie in the classroom with this little girl and Josie came home bro heartbroken because she said, I know why she's being so mean all the time. This little girl was a bully and she was driving Josie crazy. And she said, she, she said she doesn't believe in God. She doesn't believe in Jesus, and Josie was heartbroken about it. And she took that. She said, "We've got to pray for her, Mama. We got to pray for her. Can I take her a Bible?" And Josie set out to show Jesus to that little girl, understanding mm -hmm. her life is hard at home. Mm -hmm. She had compassion on her, and she. I know when I was pregnant, I prayed the whole time. God, we prayed together, Lord. Let this baby love you with all their heart and love people. That was the vision over her life we prayed. And oh my goodness, <laughs> that girl loves people deeply and she loves God deeply. So much that one day it's going to experience a lot of hurt. Yeah. She loves people so deeply. But she loved that girl and that girl became one of her best friends at the end of she the year. She sure did. That girl, when Josie gave her the Bible for, uh, I think it was Valentine's, mm -hmm. the little girl teared up. She said, no one's ever invited me to church before. No yeah. one's ever 
done this for me. And then Colby, uh, you know, we, uh, we had a little rule that we weren't going to let Colby play or any, our kids do anything extracurricular until they were eight. And God pressed on our heart to let him do it a little early and uh, a few months before his birthday. And we did. And, um, and we constantly try to tell our kids, you know, uh, baseball is not about baseball. Your drama class is about your school's not about school. It's about bigger things. It's about God. It's about ministry. Mm-hmm. And, which we uh, learned through this infertility through process. This. And, um, and there was about three weeks in, there was a little boy uh, to the season. There was a little boy on the team that lost his dad in a car wreck. And he had already kind of lost his mom to decisions she had made. And he was living with his grandmother. And, um, and I didn't know him well but we reached out and I was able to do the funeral and create a relationship with him and I asked Colby I said Colby do you know why God wanted you to play baseball early and why God put it on our hearts and he said so I could be on his team and he could come to North Star Mm. and now this little boy's path has changed and uh, and I was sharing that at my men's group just yesterday and one of the guys in my men's group said I'm in this men's group because Colby was on my baseball team (laughs) Yeah. And I'm about to tear up. I'm saying it. He said, and, and it's that timeline that wouldn't have happened if well, we wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened had we had kids when we wanted kids. We wouldn't have Josie and Colby no, if we had gotten pregnant when we wanted, mm-hmm. but God knew best. He yeah. knows that people's eternity is at stake and it's the same with you. And it reshaped us as parents. It did. We parent differently. We don't, t- we are enjoying every second of this. I tell you, I remember Colby even had colic for the first three and a half. colic. And I remember remember in the middle of the night being awake just praying, God, thank you for this baby who's screaming at me right now. Yeah, you didn't enjoy it. No. You thanked him for it. I did. And we have worked our tails off to not wish away a season. That was one thing we said we would never do because we saw people doing it. And I can honestly say we're enjoying the mess Mm -hmm. out of those suckers. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And um, so pray for that Gethsemane moment because it changes you and allow God to change you. Your prayer needs to be, God, don't give me a child. Give me all of you I can stand. Mm. Because a lot of couples make the mistake of thinking that when I have a baby, I'll be satisfied and I'll be fulfilled. And that is not true. At the end of the day, the only thing that can satisfy our souls is God. He's the only thing that can fill that void, that empty space. I know a lot of couples who've gotten their baby and still been empty. But I've also known couples who didn't get a baby and didn't get pregnant. God never had intentions for them to be biological parents or parents at all. But they had more joy and more fulfillment and were used by God in a multitude of other ways. So your prayer needs to be, God... Give me every bit of you through this process. And just knowing God has a bigger plan and you think, okay, well, whatever. What is, I don't know what that means, but I'm, you look through scripture and you see so many, God, God gives us like seven instances, I think, of, of people who were barren women who, who walked through infertility. And six of those, the children, the fruit of those, of those pregnancies later, well, Sarah, Sarah um, was in her 90s when she gave birth. and Who did she give birth to? to <laughs> he made her the mother of nations. And then <laughs> there was Rebecca. After 20 years of marriage, God gave her Jacob and Esau. Mm. And who did Jacob become? Israel? Yeah. Rachel. Um, then, then Rachel, uh, who was Jacob's beloved wife, she, she gave birth to Joseph and Benjamin, the the lineage of Jesus, and then you've got Samson's mother who prayed for a child, and then she gave birth to the strongest man that ever lived, and you've got Hannah. Mm. Her son Samuel anointed King Saul and David. You've got Elizabeth, who was the wife of Zacharias, and and Jesus said about her child, John the Baptist, that that was the greatest man ever born of a woman. Mm. You, All those ladies came through infertility, God has plans. All of those children were used to fulfill a special purpose that God had, and it had to align with his timing. Mm. And God sees you, and he sees the greater plan. And I know it's hard to see it in the middle of it right now, but if you can see through your pain and understand God loves you and he's got a plan for not only you, but for your child. Mm. Yep. 
Well, it's been a heavy podcast today for us and uh, maybe for you if you're in the middle of it. And it's been a lot longer, so thanks for sticking with us. If you're not walking through this, then please pass this along to someone that you know that is, and uh, maybe it'll minister to them. And uh, it's a detour, but God has plans in the detour. Don't Don't forsake your spouse through the journey, and don't forsake clinging to God. Um, maybe you didn't realize how long it'd take to get to the top of the mountain you're climbing, but just know that when you reach the top, the view will be far more fabulous and marvelous than you could ever imagine. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, then head on over to Facebook and Instagram and give us a follow. Have a great week.